presence? Isn't it all about his presence? You think of it, we were created and we were in the presence of God and then we sin and we're separated from God. We're separated from that presence of God. We're hiding in bushes, not wanting to be exposed. All of a sudden, the presence of God turns into the fear of God, and I don't mean that in a positive way, and God wants to reconnect us to his presence. You know, one experience in the presence of God can change your life forever. That first experience happens when you say yes to Jesus and you're born again. Get born again. We've got to know that we know that we know that Jesus is real. Jesus has come to save us from our sin, and we need to be able to respond to that. So I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to ask for a response. If you don't know, if you don't know when you walk out these doors that you have eternal life, I don't care how messed up you feel, how messed up you came into this place, If you are unsure, if you go to bed with fear in your heart, because if you're thinking, if I die tonight, where will I find myself when I wake up? If you don't understand that eternity is right now and God wants to meet you, we're going to put our heads down for one second. Raise your hand if you need to respond and say, I need to be born again. I need to know that I know that I'm saved. Let the Lord move on your heart right now. He's tugging at some hearts. If you don't know for sure that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you can do that today. You can know. All of a sudden, you're going to experience the presence of God. Yes, every hand that came up, don't think that that was not important to the Lord. That moment, if you know you're to respond and you know you need to be forgiven for your sins today, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter what thoughts you're having in your head right now, all you need to do is say yes. Yes, Lord, I need you. So Lord, we pray for each one here today, for all of us, that we would understand that you're a savior, that Jesus, you died for our sins, but Lord, you also resurrected that we could have new life. And Lord, we want that new life. We want to walk in your presence again. So we come before you and we thank you for your love and your grace. Amen. Okay, so um, we're going to introduce, we're really excited about something. We get to introduce a conference that's coming to our church. We are excited because we're going to be hosting this conference. Uh, We've been asked to host it, and it's churches basically from San Jose all the way to Monterey that will probably come and attend this conference, but it's for uh, teenage girls and up till oldie olds. And so... um, If you know someone that could use a day of refreshing, a day to um, be with other ladies and be uh, hearing topics that will be exciting and life-changing, it's free. Okay, who doesn't like free? It's free, and that includes lunch. That includes muffins. That includes coffee. So we're going to do a short clip about this. The one thing that they want is they want us to register so they can do the meals. So we're just hoping for the whole church to get get involved in this. If you know somebody who's going through stuff, maybe a young person, um, invite them to come. So it's going to be February 9th. So, Bryn, why don't you start that clip? Oh, sorry. Good to see all of your smiling faces. I want to open up with a verse, very familiar to all of us. It's Galatians 2.20. Paul writes to us, 
and we identify with what he says. We have been crucified with Christ. In him, we have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son, by, in, by inheritance and reliance on complete and complete trust in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Isn't that something when you think about that verse that Christ is now living in you? And how it, it kind of helps us stop sometimes and just identify, okay, what, how is he living in me? Or how am I allowing him to live in me today? I want to, before I start my message, I want to do a little review because I feel like this verse, Psalms 133, verse 1, uh, is kind of important with what we're going through in, in, uh, as in Christian churches. And as we're trying to move in unity, we're going to uh, host uh, the community prayer on this Friday night. And hopefully you can come an uh, hour and 15 minutes from 7 to 8. But it reminds me of Jesus and how he uh, prayed and how he asked. He believed that there was to be unity. And if Christ is living in us, what do we need to do to adjust our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings about people to have unity? In Psalms 33.1, it also was talking about that David wrote this. And him knowing the division in his family, the disunity he saw, how he grew up under um, Saul, that uh, there was complete, oftentimes, uh, warfare and disunity among the children of Israel. And he wrote, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And verse um, 3, the last part of that verse says, For there the Lord commanded blessing life forevermore. That as we pursue unity, there's a blessing of God. The blessing comes on us. And I just want us to stand and pray again. Our times are so broken and there's so much disunity. There is so much distrust. There is so much rebellion. Let's pray. Will you just join with me? Let's take a minute and pray. God, we come to you, and first we, we lift ourselves to you. And we know you're praying for our unity, our unity with you and the Father, and the unity that affects our immediate family that we live in, and the unity in the body of Christ, and then the unity that we have in this church. And we're asking this year that we would see unity built in this church, built in our families, built in our lives. We pray against the darkness. We pray against unforgiveness and bitterness and everything that keeps us from being unified. We ask today that you would move on us, Holy Spirit, that we will experience unity in this year. That we will see the fruit of unity in the church, in our community, in our nation, and in the world. And we pray we would feel the unity, Lord, in our hearts, God, in our families that we live together with. Those people that sometimes irritate us. Move on us by your Holy Spirit. We agree as you pray for unity. We agree with that prayer that you will bring unity to us, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Kind of a companion verse to that is 1 Peter 3, uh, 8 and 9. Peter tells us, never return evil. Oh, finally, in verse 8, finally, all of you should be of one and the same mind, united in spirit, sympathizing with one another, loving each other as brethren of one household, compassionate and courteous, tender-hearted and humble. Never return evil for evil or insult for insult, scolding, tongue-lashing, berating, but on the contrary, blessing, praying for their war welfare, happiness and protection, and truly pitying and loving them. For know that to this you were called, that you may yourselves inherit a blessing from God, that you may obtain a blessing as heirs, 
bringing welfare and happiness and protection. There is a blessing of God wants to come to us. We're often praying for blessing and wanting blessing, but obviously blessing is con- uh, connected with our unity and how we're treating each other. I had some unusual experience happen to me uh, on Friday night. Um, we have that Google in our house. And so you talk to Google, and Dory had low worship on, and we were, our advisors were gathering, we were talking, and uh, someone, it was, he was talking to us, and it was so loud. I said, hey, Google, um, come down, bring it, bring it down. And she came back with a retort like about, like, do I need a hug? Like my attitude and the way I said it to her. And I thought, wow, God, you just checked me. Because Dory's been telling me, sometimes the way you communicate, it's harsh. And I'm thinking like, God, really help me with this. My wife is telling me this. Now Google's telling me this? Oh, my. The Lord is in the house. The Holy Spirit is moving. You know, in that song we were singing about the Spirit of the Lord, and Dory got up and gave an exhortation about presence. You know, we read the Word. We can identify with Jesus going to the cross for our sins. But it is the Holy Spirit that's here now. It is the Holy Spirit that's representing God to us. But we can't see Him. And we don't feel Him as often as we want to feel Him. But it is the Holy Spirit that's working in us. It is the Holy Spirit that's going to manifest the living Jesus in our life. That as we reckon that we are dead to our own nature and the way we talk, our attitudes, our uh, disunity, the places that we're holding bitterness or unforgiveness, those are the places the Holy Spirit's going to help us forgive. He's going to help us have unity. He's going to help us have better communication, better attitudes and tones in our voice. And it is Him that we honor and respect because He's the one that we allow to work in our life. But we can't see Him. We are such a people that we want to see something, we want to grab onto things, we want to hold onto things, but it is the Holy Spirit that softens our heart and tenderizes us and makes us uh, being able to be able to connect. Also, you know, that love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a couple of verses I want to read. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, talking about love. This is a heart checkup on our love. Love suffers long and is kind. Are you suffering long? Are you being kind? Oh, man, I haven't been, been being kind at times, and I'm being checked. God, Holy Spirit, help me. Help that kindness to return. Are you long-suffering? I know sometimes we're just suffering, but that long-suffering where you're giving love, you're in, endeavoring to close your mouth and not say uh, the things that you want to say. Uh, I remember yesterday, uh, our cat knocked Dory's uh, mascara underneath the couch, and I started pushing it, and it was resistant. And then Dory was leaning. I thought, I said, Dory, you're leaning on the couch. I can't push it. And then I checked myself. There I go. I'm being loud. I'm being harsh. You know what? I love how the Holy Spirit wants to check us. And when we read the scriptures, we read the word, what God wants, we can bring ourselves to the Lord, and we can expect the Holy Spirit to check us and to work what, what we know He wants to work in our lives. And then we consciously can correct and pull ourselves in, harness ourselves, Harness our tongue, harness our attitude, harness our emotions. I think we are so frustrated sometimes in our life with what's going on in the world and everything's magnified and it's pushed down and it just little things trigger us and we, we, we respond in those ways that are not loving. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself in a puffed up manner. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, and I don't think we always bear all things. We get so much, and then we want to just dump on someone because we're tired of carrying it. But it says God's love in us will bear all things. 
Love will believe all things. It's time to stir our faith and let love be that proponent that keeps us believing in what God has promised, believing in what the Word says, believing that He is with us, believing that God is good, believing that God's blessings are on us and God is pouring them over and over on us. I wish Andrea would get up and give her exhortation she gave us at the advisory meeting uh, the other night. (laughs) That little nugget you told us about what happens when we focus on the negative things. (laughs) I told you I wanted you to go to the mic on Friday, but you didn't obey me. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so taking a class, a psychology class, and they were talking about how there's actually more negative emotions than positive. It's, it's just a given. But we actually remember negative um, interactions or negative experiences more than a positive. So that's powerful. That's powerful. So first of all, there's nothing wrong with you that you keep thinking about something negative. <laughs> just, okay? That's kind of going to be your natural because it's something that literally releases in your brain and it holds onto that negative. So what we have to do is we have to be very intentional about the positive. We have to find it. We have to look for it. We have to seek it. And so I was sharing that I have literally been, thank you. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you for this person. Thank you for that interaction. Thank you that I had this. We have to look for it and we have to be in that state of gratitude on purpose because it will not happen naturally. You are not wired for it. So I know that's kind of like a negative, but it's not because it's positive because we can overcome it. So, Thank you, Andrea. That's awesome. <laughs> hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. Love forgives. Love makes amends. Simply going to people and saying, I am sorry. I am sorry. Simply almost, almost like opening up and receiving each other, our differences in our personalities, all that we are and all that bugs us about each other, we have to receive each other because God created every person in their personality. And God wants to bring this unity where we're all different, but somehow we draw on the benefits of who we are because as we come together in unity, we can receive what each other has and and everything about each other. Okay, now my next review is the in-between. Remember in-between. Its definition is situated somewhere between two extremes. I talked to you last week about Moses. Remember, 120 years. And in five books of the Bible, mainly in Genesis through Deuteronomy, it talks about Moses in the 120 years. I mean, five books? Five books of the Bible about a guy 120 years? There are so many things that happen in between in our life. And I want us again to focus on your in-between. Are you discouraged today? Are you discouraged as a Christian? Are you discouraged about things that are not happening in your life? You're in the in-between. You are ready to experience the next miraculous thing. You are ready to experience the next uh, answer to prayer, the next promise the next promise that God has promised you. You are ready to receive it. And I was thinking about the children of Israel. They were very upset with Moses. I've been reading this week in Numbers, and they were very upset with Moses. They were very upset with Moses. Why haven't you taken us into the promised land? What is your problem? You're our leader. 
You know, they forgot. They forgot, Andrea. They forgot that he had just walked them through the Red Sea. That was miraculous enough. I think if you got through the Red Sea and there was enemies chasing you, you would say, never again. I'm going to doubt God. Man, those guys were on our heels. I thought they were going to kill us and wipe us out, but they're not. But no, they're in the wilderness. They're wanting food. They don't see food. They don't see water, and they're very upset. They're ticked off. They're angry at Moses. It says they wanted to kill Moses and Aaron. That's the in-between. The in-between in 40 years, there was one in-between after the other. There was one meal, one service of water after the other where they were looking for the next, and they were stuck in the in-between. But we need to learn from their example and not be stuck in our in-between. We may be in in between having a joyous time or feeling really happy or feeling really fulfilled about something or we're waiting for an answer to prayer, but we're in the in-between. But I tell you, it is Jesus alive in us that's going to take us by faith as we walk in the in-between till we see the answers and what God has promised us. Beware, the next supernatural event, an encounter with the Lord will happen in your in-between. Where are you at right now? What's the last thing you experience? What are you expecting of God? Have you given up? And then I like, I read 1 Kings this morning, 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah said, how long will you halt and limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And sometimes we need to shake ourselves. Sometimes we are stuck in a spiritual rut. Sometimes we are stuck in an in-between, but we've got to shake us out of, our, out of that place. We've got to stir ourselves, and we've got to get in there and maybe set aside time, and you just get with God, and you, you talk to God, and you ask Him for help, and you speak to your soul, and you shake yourself out of the apathy. You shake yourself out of the in-between, and you experience God because you get desperate for God, and you call on God. This year, okay, my message. My second week, I hope I get a little bit further in it this week than I did last week. Digging for spirituality in the Bible. That just as like they're telling us to exercise more, eat more vegetables. Poor, poor animals aren't going to be eating more as much as they were last year. Uh, try to lose weight. All these things we do to change who we are. We want to really seek the Word of God this year. We want to get into the Bible. We want to aggressively understand the Word of God. That word exegesis that I brought to you, where it's interpreting the Word, where you're positioning yourself to understand what God's saying to you. And I started talking to you last week about um, the different things about studying the Bible, where the historical context, the, you know, whatever people were going through, the author. And I want to talk a little bit about that stuff this morning. Because the important thing is growing in our spirituality. Since we met Christ, we we're born again. Christ is living in us. And so there's this whole spiritual nature that's come alive because Jesus is living in us. The Holy Spirit is living in us. And we want to grasp what he's doing. We want to tune in and so grow spiritually that we're bringing it into our natural life. We're bringing it into those places where God is developing our spiritual gifts. And we're finding place and access to use those gifts so that our, our life becomes well-balanced, well-rounded, but becomes very spiritually active in living a fullness of life that God has for us. And it's going to come down to digging in the Bible. Now, you don't have to take big old portions of Scripture. If you take one or two verses and you're thinking about them during the day, you flip them up on your phone, uh, you use a a Bible app like Bible Gateway or a Blue Letter Bible, something like there's so many apps out there where you can just have the Bible right there. You know you have your phone all the time. Once in a while, you could look at a Scripture. Is it, no, it's going to break. Maybe check in Facebook or whatever. But look at some scriptures. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you what he wants to teach you. Try to grasp what the author is saying to you in those scriptures. 
I'm loving Gordon D. Fee. Uh, Dave Sell over the over uh, Northern California Bible College, he said that Gordon Fee is an incredible spirit-filled Bible theologian who did commentaries. And I started looking up, and he started doing commentaries on different books and everything back in 1988. I think he did the recent something in 2014. But this guy, he was reading commentaries for years, and he felt like there, there needed to be even more. And so he just, he just was, um, he said, man, I would really like to take the time, but I would have to be away from it. He worked at a, a Bible college, and he said, I really need time. I need time to do this. And one day, uh, after he was thinking this, this man came up to him and said, what would it take for you to start doing a commentary on the Bible? And he said, man, he goes, I would need a whole year off from, from my school responsibilities and two summers, one, one on each end. And this guy moved, and they got him a grant to spend 15, 18 months studying the Bible. And he studied the Bible six days a week. Six days a week, he prayed and read over the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit just started moving, and he gave this new, new commentary, and it was just incredible. So here's some things he has to say. This is from listening to the Spirit in the text. Biblical authors communicating to a person were not only inspired by the Holy Spirit, but also brought their own spirituality <clears throat> to the writing of the text. True interpretation of the text attempts to engage in the author's spirituality. And in some places we can see the author's influence and what they've gone through uh, that affect us, especially I think about Paul. When we read about Paul and the things that he went through, we are affected by his spirituality, especially what he went through to serve God. The beatings, the stonings, the being placed in prison, left for dead, uh, just the horrible things he went through. What If he didn't have a true faith in God, why would he go through everything he went through? And those are the things when we read him, we, are, we tend to believe in him because he laid his life down on the line and died for his faith in Jesus Christ. So Gordon Fee is telling us we've got to look at, at what the author in these things are writing to us. We know that God is the author of the whole Bible, but he moved on people during the seasons in the Bible history and even in the New Testament. He moved on men and women. He moved on people and influenced them that we have the word of God to have, uh, to um, look at and to understand and to grow spiritually from. But we have those authors because they not only interpreted what God was saying and wrote it down, but also their own influence and their experience with God is written in what they wrote. And we know, like, um, as we read and start looking at what the author is saying, too, it can help us grasp what God's saying to us. I want to look at Luke, the author. Again, ordinary people experience a supernatural God, and they bring that witness of their spiritual experience through the Bible text that they wrote down. Luke brings his spiritual influence from the gospel to us. And we know that the gospel, Jerry Munzer brought it up to us yesterday, the gospel we have today, we have the New Testament, it's for our benefit, we, we can read. But the first century Christians, all they had was the Old Testament. We understand that the Bereans diligently looked at the scriptures, and it was because of those scriptures that confirmed about Messiah, where they believed in what the New Testament apostles were telling them. And so they put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and they were born again and started the spiritual life. But it was the Old Testament was the Word of God and the Holy Spirit used it as the New Testament was unfolding and the apostles and uh, the New Testament prophets were, were doing the things that they were doing and bringing up things that could be written down about what was happening in the, in the New Testament churches where we have the Bible that we have today. 
So Luke, the disciple of Christ, writes about Paul. Paul had a spiritual influence on the people of his generation, and Luke is writing about it. The first verse I want us to look at is Luke is Acts, <laughs> Acts 18, 4. Again, Luke is writing Acts of his witness of Paul, the apostle. And he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. It was the Holy Spirit's power on Paul, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit, to preach the gospel and to unveil and open up those scriptures of the Old Testament as he went into the synagogue every Sabbath day where the Jews would come in and they're beginning to hear more and more about this Jesus, the Messiah. And so he's taking those scriptures out of the Old Testament and he's cracking them open. He's interpreting those scriptures that now Jesus has just come and he's died on the cross for your sins. In Acts 19, 23 through 26, again, you can see how Paul's experience, what he experienced spiritually, had a direct influence on his hearers. And about this time, there arose a great commotion about the way Christianity. That was the first thing they called the Christians. They called it the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Again, this whole little community was involved with worship of this shrine that, that people bow down to. So Paul comes in and he's sharing the gospel, showing a whole new way to get saved, a whole new way to experience God. And these guys are upset because now their livelihood is affected. And yet in the midst of people losing their livelihood, losing their money, we see that they are persuaded to turn to Jesus Christ through what Paul was telling them and the power of the Holy Spirit in the words that he used. The point of these verses is to recognize the spiritual effect on the altar, on the author that they pass on to their readers. I know many of us have different authors that we like to read books from. There's something about the way they write that they hook us right in. They get our mind, will, and emotions into what they're telling us, and we're drawn into the stories. That's what the Bible authors seek to do also. They seek to pass on the power of the Holy Spirit to enwrap our heart, to pull our minds in, to pull our emotions in, so that we experience the full power of the text that we're reading. We are to have personal encounters with the living God through the power of the text itself. I know there's times when we read it, especially if you read, like I'm reading in Numbers uh, at the, a few weeks ago, and it really didn't start kicking in gear till number 16. But I mean, the genealogies, you can get worn out, but you have to read them. Hang on there, read through them. God is going to bless you for that. But we know that just sometimes reading those things, it seems dry. But I tell you, it's like going through a place where you're dry and then you hit a place where the water starts flowing. And that's where the Holy Spirit starts giving you nuggets from the Word of God. Our key verse is the same one as last week, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. The Word of God that you receive, the promises that you receive, the things that God tells you through His Word are going to test you. They're going to test your faith. Are you going to struggle? Are you going to have unbelief? Are you going to doubt? 
And that's those in-between times where God is testing your faith and He's developing the Word of God in you. You have to just hang on and simply let God's Word be what it is. Let the promises rest on the back burner because God is the one that's going to make them come to pass. Your job is to keep believing in Jesus when you're not seeing and when you're not feeling what He's told you. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightfully handling and skillfully teaching the Word of Truth, You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be someone who has all this brain abilities to analyze things. You simply have to be a reader of the Bible. The Bible is interpreted by the Holy Spirit to us. God is so cares for you to understand the Word. He's so uh, he feels like you're so important to Him. He wants to open up the Scriptures to you. He wants to make you someone who is very understandable and experiential in the things of God. Gordon Fee said this, We must concern, be concerned to do good exegesis, good Bible interpretation of the text, to hear the text first on its own terms and not on our own. This, of course, stands over against the popular notion of spirituality, which believes that learning gets in the way of hearing the text in an, a spiritual way. There's that thing that goes on between getting into the Bible and getting so into your head that you're not experiencing the power of what the Word is saying spiritually. There's this war going on between the analytical and the spiritual. And that's what we have to watch. I was talking to someone whose uh, child was in a, a real strong Bible college, and their child got so, well, their adult child got so into the context where they were missing the spirituality. But only when a friend at that Bible college told them of an experience they had through the word that was different than the context, did it break away just this legalistic part that started forming in, in this young lady. And it's that part, too, where we can either be so into the text, trying to, what's the context, or what's the history, that we're missing the spiritual. And that's where some people are, where that you hear them talk about, well, yeah, I read the Bible, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just the Bible. It doesn't mean anything. But we know you have to know the author. You have to receive Jesus by faith, and the author inside you helps you interpret his word. And I've talked to people over my life where, yeah, they, I read the Bible, and it doesn't make sense or whatever. But that's a person who's only look at it in an analytical, uh, technical, mental way. It is that combination because we are flesh and spirit made alive through Jesus Christ. And now there's that ability to interpret the scripture in the place where the Holy Spirit starts feeding us the word of God, where we draw the benefit of the word of God. Gordon Fee goes on to say, but such an approach, again, he's talking about just the spirituality portion, to a text misunderstands the biblical meaning of spirituality. And very often, such an approach to the text gives one warm feelings about the biblical text and about God, but it does not always lead to obedience or to be encountering God and His purses and His own purposes in giving this text in the first place. Again, a lot of times we read the Word, we get these warm feelings, we feel God, we go away, but are we changed? Has something happened where we are going to aggressively, aggressively seek God to see that that Word of God that He gave us is acted upon? That somehow the Word is working and it's producing fruit in our life? Or are we just going for a good feeling? We have to have that something going on where we are being changed by the Word of God. Again, I gave you this last week, and um, I'm putting out there again the questions we ask of the Bible text. I hopefully you'll put this little piece of paper in your Bible so that when you're reading, you can ask these questions. They're going to help you uncover what God is trying to say to you. First, what is the historical context? 
you know, some, you can get a Bible nowadays that have so much commentaries and footnotes, and a lot of them, like, I have a New King James that gives you a little bit of a history context of, the, of what was going on in the time. It gives you uh, just a little understanding of where the people are at, what was going on. But that will help you with the historical context. If you want to dig a little more, again, you can go online, you can get uh, some commentaries, and they'll give you a little bit further understanding. The next question, who was the writer? Or who is the, and who is the author addressing? Some Bibles tell you who the author is and the time of the writing. Sometimes a brief uh, bibliography or a biography of the author. What is the context of the message? Some Bibles give a brief overview of the message. What the writer was trying to say to the people. It's important to know the context of the message, who, who he was say, what he was saying to those people. What is the spiritual question or the spiritual message in the text is the next question to ask. The spiritual message is usually pretty clear and is kind of easily recognized unless the Lord has hidden it because of their heart. I remember in the New Testament when Jesus was addressing the Pharisees, he was saying that they would hear but not understand. Where there was times where the, the, the text was blocked off because they weren't open to his interpretation and to, they didn't have heart open to him. The next question is, what is, was the author trying to communicate spiritually to the people he wrote to? What is the spiritual message behind what he was communicating in the text? Sometimes that's pretty plain to see. And usually the author is skillful enough to you know, bring out those points and help us to understand what the author was trying to say and what God was trying to do. The last question, what is the author's spiritual message that applies to me? What am I getting out of what I'm reading about the author's experience and his witness that I can take home today? What can I work on? What is God saying to me in the text? And hopefully as you use these questions that you're going to have more meat this next year. You're going to feed rich on the word of God. You're going to find nuggets of gold. They're going to encourage your faith and build your faith. And maybe we'll even see more people at the mic giving uh, an exhortation on what God is saying to the body. Gene, I love what you said today because that scripture in Peter, I've been meditating on this week and I shared it at our advisory board meeting on Friday. Gordon Fee said this, we must come to the text with an absolute conviction that it is the word of God, that there and here God speaks and we listen. Thus our concern is coming to the text to hear from God. No other stance is exegetically in a keeping with the text itself. Such a stance also includes a conviction that the text has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. For only with such a conviction will one expect the same Holy Spirit to help us in the twofold task of being good historians and good listeners. Let's do a little exegesis. Let's, let's kind of uh, interpret Hebrews 12.2. The writer of Hebrews wrote, again, my Bible says they're not sure if Hebrews was written by Paul Maybe by Titus. It's kind of up in the air. Different um, commentaries have different theories about what it is. But irregardless, we know God is the author of all Scripture, so that's something we can just rest in. The writer of Hebrews wrote, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. First of all, it says that God is the author. Jesus was the author. So we know that that means he was the originator. And sometimes you can find different words and you look them up. 
And if you look up uh, like Strong's, you get the Greek meaning of words that gives you a, a bigger definition of what the word means. From the Greek, uh, from the English Greek lexicon, the word author means one who causes something to begin, an initiator. Jesus was the one who initiated our salvation. And the next word in that verse is finisher. Finisher, Jesus is the one who is going to accomplish, the one who works in natural events, the one who calls to ministry and witnesses by the Holy Spirit. So he's coming. He gives us faith through Jesus Christ. It says in Romans um, 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It says in John that the Holy Spirit draws us to meet Jesus and to accept Jesus. And so we know that he gives us that faith to initiate our salvation experience, but he's also the one that develops our faith in the in-between. And what's going on between experiencing God or feeling a revelation or getting something out of the word in that place where faith is being developed, he's working just like someone who starts building a house in all the different stages and processes that goes through that house may not be finished, but the skilled um, people are working to establish the finishing of that house. Jesus in verse two, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You think like, <clears throat> wow, Jesus, you knew you are going to the cross. You know you're going to get beaten. You know you're coming to fulfill a lot of scriptures, but there's a lot of heavy-duty things coming on you. The physical beatings would be enough. The torture, the humiliation, uh, being just thirsty would be enough. But Jesus had to take upon himself every sin that was ever committed from Adam through the end of time. He took on every sin, past, present, and future, upon himself. And so the joy that was set before him, that's something we have to think about. What kind of joy was set before Jesus? Matthew Henry comments on this verse. Jesus had something in view under all his sufferings, which was pleasant to him. He rejoiced to see that by his sufferings, he should make satisfaction to the injured justice of God and give security to his honor and government, that he should make peace between God and man, that he should seal the covenant of grace and be the mediator of it, that he should open a way of salvation to the chief sinners, and that he should effectively save all those whom the Father had given him, and himself be the firstborn among many brethren. This was the joy that was set before him. That was one joy. But I see another joy that he talks about a number of times in scriptures. Uh, in one place is in John 14, 28 through 31. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. There was something that Jesus revealed about his joy. Yes, he was happy, although it was painful, and he despised that shame. But he looked beyond that for another joy. He looked that he was going home, having completed his mission of dying for the sins of the world, reconciling us to God. But he was going home to the Father. I don't think we fully understand, but I know we're growing in our love for God. And we're growing in that place where we're learning to receive the love of God for ourselves. In those experiences of knowing how much we are loved by God and how much we are loved by the Father, there's a restoration in our spirit. There's, a, there's a, something that goes so deep in our heart 
because the deepest thing our heart longs for is fellowship with God. And we try to fill it with so many different, ta- different things. Verse 29 says, And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Again, he's expressing his love for the Father. And we've had moments where we experience the love of Jesus and we know love that is beyond our own human love. But here Jesus is expressing, I love the Father. And only Jesus really knew the extent of that love. And it has to be pretty big for him to go to the cross and do everything that he did for us. In verse uh, John 16, 16, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. In John twenty seventeen. Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, again, the first person that saw him when he was resurrected, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. You guys, would you just please stand? We just want to open up the altars today. If you need any prayer or anything that's discouraging you, any places of encouragement you need, would you just come over here on my left and your right? People will pray for you. If you just want to take a little time and just pray, maybe there's some things that you want to pray about that have to do with unity. There's things you want to let go of. There's things you want to forgive. Come over here on my right, your left, and pray. No one will bother you. No one will try to listen to what you're saying. It's a time for you to just connect with God. Maybe you're in an in-between place, and you just need you just need to, to shake yourself a little bit, and you just want to come before the Lord and just want to break some stuff free. We just have... Uh, a few minutes. Well, actually, it's 11.45, so if you have to go, please go. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week. Try to come Friday night at 7 for our one-hour prayer. And uh, the rest of you, whatever you need to do.